Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Romans chapter 9, the Apostle Paul declared, quote, Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? The doctrine of election is perhaps the most difficult doctrine in all the Bible to understand. This doctrine is ultimately boiled down to one question. What was the basis or reasoning for those our Heavenly Father elected for salvation and the reasoning for those He allowed to perish in hell? Let's open our Bible now to Romans chapter 9 and begin to learn God's purposes in election. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another teaching. It is a Thursday afternoon here in Texas and man, it's just a good day to be loving on Jesus, isn't it? Spending time with Jesus, growing to know him, growing to love him, growing to obey him, growing to be like him. You know, I've just been reminded these last couple of days, just, you know, just in, you know, just the ways that I, I need to be more like Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm still a man that if, you know, when I'm, you know, if I'm spoken to disrespectfully or if, uh, you know, something someone says something to me that's, that's just not true, I, I don't I don't respond well to it. And, you know, it's funny. My daughter, Kristen, called me this morning and she was asking about a situation where she was, you know, just, you know, dealing with a particular individual. And she she just wanted, you know, some scripture. And so we talked about, you know, Romans 12, 20 and 21. And we talked about uh, 1 Peter 3, verses 8 to 15, and um, we won't put those on the screen, but they're just scriptures that, that tell us that when we're treated poorly, when we're treated with evil, when we're treated with dishonesty, that you know we need to respond in a loving and kind way. Or when people misuse us or ill-treat us, um, we need to be re responding in a Christ-centered way and just... Still, I confess that, you know, often I still, you know, will respond with frustration and anger um, because, you know, the, the person is wrong or whatever it is, instead of just, you know, uh, uh, trying to trying to really reflect Christ. And so it's just it's something that that certainly I need to work on. And, and all of us as disciples of Jesus. Right, Nathan, we need to be working on living more like Christ in the moment, especially where we're, you know, disrespected or, or mistreated or, you know, when people treat us selfishly or whatever the situation is. Um, and it, it's hard. So, all right. So while well, we're continuing this, our discussion in Romans nine here, um, on election and predestination and, and really what are the, you know, again, as we've said over and over, what the issue is not whether election is a reality. Election is a biblical fact, okay? Every believer has been elect before the world was created. God the Father chose every believer before the world was created. Now, the, the question is, what was his reasoning for choosing the ones he did? A reasonable response is, that, you know, Romans 8, 29 says it's based on, on his foreknowledge. So if we just take the word on its face that God foreknowing who, when presented with the gospel, would receive it, uh, make sure that they hear it 
and he chooses those who he knows will of their own will, so to speak, choose him, right? So in this way, you know, God the Father is not picking and choosing his personal favorites. Yet dealing with this chapter, um, that's not what this chapter says, okay? Um, where we left off last time in verse 18, um, verse, verse 18 says, therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. Um, and so it's, 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 it's a very forceful chapter, as we've said, it's, it's, it's a chapter that, that's, that, that really is very unrelational. It's a chapter that says, you know, I'm God, I'm the boss you are my creature. I created you. You're my property. And you need to understand that. And, and in fact, all of those things are true. We are his creatures. He did create us. We are his property. And he certainly has the right to do what he wants to do with us. That being said, just because he can do everything he wants, he certainly can pick and choose his favorites. There's no doubt. Um, but does that mean that he does do that? And so that's what we're trying to understand here and just really, you know, unpack this chapter. Again, it's uh, it's by, by many estimations the most difficult chapter in the Bible to deal with. Romans 8, I think, is maybe the most profound chapter. They're all good. They're all profound. But just what we walk through in Romans 8 is overwhelming. Now you turn over to Romans 9. Again, he is dealing with Israel. Some scholars say that these three chapters pertain only to Israel, so they really don't have a whole lot to do with us. Uh, I don't think that's a reasonable interpretation. Again, certainly it's speaking to Israel, but there is application to us, and that's what we're working on. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, your grace, your love on our lives. We thank you for this Bible book of Romans. We thank you that we have our Bible, Father. We thank you that we have the living word of God, Father. And we thank you for this book of Romans. We thank you for chapter nine, Father. It is a, a very difficult chapter, I confess. Um, very difficult to understand the force of the chapter. So Holy Spirit, I do ask you to lead us now as we open your word. Give us eyes that see, ears that hear. Give us hearts that understand, we pray. And above all, we just worship you and thank you, Jesus our Lord and Savior, our Master and King, for becoming a human man for us, for living a perfect righteous life on our behalf that we could never live, for dying a torturous death on our behalf that we should have died. And we thank you that you're alive and risen today, and we worship you, Jesus. Amen and amen. All right, thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, so Romans 9, again, we're gonna do 19, and I don't know how far we'll get here. Um, but verse 18, remember, God says, therefore, the word of God says, verse 18, therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. Again, seems very matter of fact. Now, we're not told the reasons for that. We are told that, yes, there's no doubt he'll have mercy on whom he desires. But is there a reasoning behind it that we can understand, or is it just based in his own sovereignty and we cannot understand it? We always approach the Bible, we want to approach the Bible that, that we can understand these things. This simply states a fact. It is a fact that God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy. There's no doubt about that. That's what it says. But when it says, and he hardens whom he wants to harden, 
What does that mean? Does that mean that that our father would harden a heart that would otherwise receive Jesus as Savior? Well, of course not, right? Um, is it possible that that he would he would harden a heart that has already hardened itself, as we saw, you know, with the with the verse with Pharaoh in verse seventeen, right? Um, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my glory may be known. It's uh, before God hardened Pharaoh's heart, he hardened, Pharaoh hardened his own heart over and over and over again. You know, uh, all the plagues came and God was making it clear through Moses that Pharaoh needed to let the people of Israel go, the Hebrews go, but, but he refused. He hardened his own heart. And after Pharaoh hardening his own heart enough times, then God came in and just and finished the job. And in this way, he hasn't done Pharaoh really any wrong. Pharaoh would have continued to harden his own heart anyway. And so here now the Lord just speeds it along. So again, because our heavenly father is omniscient, he knows who will of themselves. Of course, he knows which one of us will harden our hearts and which one of us will, you know, will not harden our hearts. And so if if this perhaps is saying that, you know, he hardens the hearts that he otherwise knows will harden themselves. Well, that's certainly what he did with Pharaoh. But at the same time, you know, a, a reformed, you know, scholar is going to say that every single human being is born with a hardened heart. Now, we know that every one of us is born sinful. Every one of us is depraved. But is every one of us born depraved? without a capacity to believe the gospel and to receive Jesus as savior. A reformed or a Calvinist thinker would say that we're not only born sinful and depraved, but we have no capacity in ourselves to receive the gospel unless God the Father does or God the Holy Spirit does a regenerative work in us. He regenerates us. And now in that regenerated, spiritually alive state, now the gospel makes perfect sense when it's when it's presented to us, where a more a more provisionist view, right, would say that that God has made provision for all humanity, for all history in the person of Jesus Christ, and although every person is totally depraved and sinful, right, rap, every one of us does by the grace of God, not in ourselves. But by the grace of God, by the common grace of God, have the capacity to either receive Jesus as Savior or reject him. So hopefully that makes sense. That should make fairly good sense. Again, it's a difficult topic. We're talking about, again, Scott, um, that, that election is, is a doctrine that says that God chooses who will be saved and go to heaven before the world was ever created. That's what the scripture says in Ephesians 1, 4, okay? It says he chose us before the world was even created, before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. Um, and so again, what, we, what, the, what the discussion is around is what was the basis for him choosing? We know he's, he's sovereign. We know he's all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent. So did his choosing have anything at all to do with our will in our choosing, and that's what the, the whole discussion revolves around. So God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy. Verse 19, one of you will say to me, so Paul anticipates the, the reasonable objection here, but Paul doesn't seem to make it that reasonable. Paul can anticipate now 
that he said such such hard, even harsh things, forceful things, he anticipates the objection in verse 19. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us for who resists his will? Right. So basically, if God's going to have mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, if he's going to harden on who he's going to harden, well, then how can he still blame me for what I've done wrong? Because, you know, whatever he whatever he orders is going to come to pass. Whatever he ordains is going to come to pass. Right. So, again, you see the objection, right? Corinne, verse 19. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us if he hardens whom he wants to harden? If he has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, why would he blame us for our sin or wrongdoing or anything we do? For who resists his will? I don't know. It seemed like a legitimate question that, that Paul anticipates this question. And it seems reasonable. Look at the answer in verse 20. But who are you, old man, to talk back to God? That's, again, that's not a very relational statement. But who are you, verse 20, but who are you, old man, to talk back to God? The, the, the kingdom of God is about a relationship with Jesus. It's about growing to know Jesus, as we say in our lives. After we've received him as Savior, growing to be more like him, growing to repent, where we see the areas, as I certainly do in my own life, where we're not like him. So that's a relationship. And part of a relationship is where you're able to ask questions and have relationship with your heavenly father. And that is based on communication and, and earnestly seeking him and knowing him and wanting to understand his heart, knowing his love, wanting to know his love, wanting to love him. But this is not a relational statement. But who are you, old man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, why did you make me like this? So Paul's response here is very difficult to understand, okay? On its face, Paul's saying, who are you? God's going to do what he's going to do, and it's not for you to ask questions. But that's not how relationship is. Relationship is about us consistently seeking him, consistently asking, seeking and knocking, as Jesus said, right? Matthew 7, ask and it will be given you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open. What that really means is keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. That's what relationship is. He wants us to pursue him, that we might know him. This isn't relational, but who are you, oh man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to he who formed it? Why did you make me like this? So basically, you know, God the Father, why did you make me with a soft heart in a way that I could receive Jesus? I'm not supposed to ask that question. Or why did you harden my heart in a way that I couldn't receive Jesus? Who are you to talk back to God? He's going to, you know, it's up, it's up to him to do what he wants with his creatures, with his creation. Verse 21, Paul continues the thought. Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay? some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use. Wow. So these are facts. He is the potter. We are the clay. Just like if you and I were on a pottery wheel and we were making a pottery bowl like you might have done in shop or something. Remember that in shop where we molded it, right? Back in high school, 40 years ago, whatever that was. But <laughs> you remember when you made that clay pot, Stephen, right? You remember that, Kristen? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? So if God wants to make a, a pot with a soft heart 
and make a person that just has a, a zeal for Jesus and has a loving disposition, he can do that. And yet if he wants to make a creature that, that has a hard heart, has a bitter disposition, he can do that too. That's what the words say, okay? So what we're trying to discern here, Susan, is, is what does this really mean? Why is he speaking like this, Alicia? What's this mean, Jason, right? Hard statement. Again, you don't see any relationship. The answer is yes. Absolutely, God does have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use. So that's true. But what would, but what would be his reasoning behind it? Stephen brought up a great scripture in Bible study in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 when, it, when Paul's going to use this same language about about how the Lord, you know, uh, makes different things. So listen to it. So we're in 2 Timothy 2, verse 20. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. Okay, so again, Paul's talking about a large house like the world. And just like a house, we are the house, right? In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, okay? So in a regular home, like in the homes we live in, there are, there are, there are items that are very valuable and items like that are used for a trash can or a toilet, right? Um, a garbage disposal. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes, some for ignoble. There are things we use in the house, like, you know, whether it's toilets or you know, uh, a mat to dry our feet on that are not very noble, right? But look at verse uh, 21. So Paul is speaking about people here. He's speaking about humanity, men and women. But look at 21. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, well, what does this mean? If a man cleanses himself, and it means man or woman, if a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes. So Paul says, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. So if you think through that scripture, okay, so there, there are articles that are for noble and ignoble, but Paul says, if a man cleanses himself from the latter. So the clear implication of the scripture is that the man or woman has in themselves the opportunity to cleanse himself from an ignoble creature, obviously by receiving Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, by turning away from their sin, repenting of their unbelief, or whatever they were believing foolishly about God, and believing what the scripture says, that they are hopeless sinners in desperate need of a Savior, and running and clinging to Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul. So again, when we look at 21, yeah, the potter can do whatever he wants, Romans 9, 21, but here it seems to be, it gives an explanation, right? In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes, some of ignoble. Okay, so some people are for noble purposes, some for ignoble. But then he says, if a man cleanses himself from the latter, ignoble purposes, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made wholly useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. So perhaps... You know, yes, God is made some, but he's given everyone the opportunity, right? 
Again, this is a more provisionist doctrine, and I'm using these words. They can be helpful. Sometimes I don't like them. I don't like the labels, right? But, you know, if it is in fact, and it would it would really match our understanding of fairness, it's certainly more intuitive, right? That, that God, by his common grace, has given every human being an opportunity to either exercise their will and place their faith in Jesus Christ. If they choose to do that, then, then they go from being uh, pottery that was for, for ignoble purposes to being noble. So when Paul says, does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use, that's absolutely true. But if the pottery that's made for common use, you know, chooses to give themselves to Jesus Christ, they can be used for noble purposes. And so that would make sense. Um, that is an interpretation. It seems to make the most sense. And I hope that's what's true. Okay. Um, again, 99% of the scriptures, I think, are very clear. But we're dealing here in a, in, a, in a subject of doctrine that's very difficult. Look at verse 22. What if God, and it just gets harder, right? It just gets stronger. What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction. 23, what if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? 24, even us whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. Uh, yeah. Just a heavy, heavy, hard verse, right? So now Paul is going to give reasoning as to, you know, one of the reasons why God may have done this, okay? And, and actually what he says is what if God, 22, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, so choosing to show his wrath on the unbelievers, on all those who wouldn't receive Christ, and make his power known, known to us, not the unbelievers, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction. That is a very hard statement. So what Paul is saying here, if you just take the words, is that those whom God did not choose for salvation, those who would not put their faith in Jesus Christ, were prepared for destruction. And he showed tremendous patience with them, not because they would be saved. He showed an immense patience with them to make his glory known. Now, that's hard. Golly. Again, I want to glorify my father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. But to say that he did all this, it's what the words say. We can't get around it. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known? To make the riches, the, his glory it's the riches of his glory. He don't have, he's not like poor in glory. It's the riches of his glory. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy? Well, that's us. So, so apparently God bore with great patience the objects of wrath prepared for destruction, all non-believers. And he did this to make the incredible wealth, the immensity, the riches of his glory known to us who were objects of mercy. When he says, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy, meaning 
I'll give mercy to those I want to be saved in Jesus, and I'll harden those I don't. Again, it doesn't seem fair, right? It seems this way that God is picking and choosing who's going to be saved. Um, and that is a fact of a Reformed or Calvinist doctrine or doctrines of grace, they like to call it. Um, and you could see why about one, one and a half percent of all Christians are Reformed or Calvinist, because this is hard to believe, right? Some people, there, there's anger that, that wells up. There are people who look at this and just say, how could anyone believe that God would pick and choose who's going to save? And tough luck for everyone else. You're just going to hell where you're going to go anywhere. And a reformed thinker would say, yes, that is how it works. And, and, and the reformers are not fools. Okay, These are hard, studied men who have, who have given themselves for... 50 years sometimes, 60 years in studying the word of God. So they're not haphazard in what they're saying. And ultimately they may be right. I, you know, again, in my own mind, as I've studied these doctrines for, I've studied this doctrine for, for 25 years, fairly intensely, I put about a 30% chance on that being true. I put more of a 50% chance on that. You know what? Um, God has made provision for all people and everyone has an opportunity to be saved and choose him. And then there's a 20% chance it's somewhere in the middle. And although the scripture teaches it, we haven't figured it out yet. That's why we got to keep studying, right? Now, this is not the case with the vast majority of scripture. The vast majority of scripture is plain. There is one God, one being, three separate, distinct, individual persons. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, God the Holy Spirit. They're all God, one being three distinct individual persons. Every human being is sinful. All of us are hopeless, helpless, desperate, depraved, under the wrath of God, headed to hell unless we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. Every one of us is called to be a growing disciple of Jesus Christ. These things are unambiguous. They're not confusing. They're not nebulous. But this chapter is confusing because taken on its face, it has an overwhelming force to it. And here's the thing. We can't just ignore this chapter because we don't like it. We have to work to take it, to take it as it is, right? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? So he prepared the non-believers for destruction and he prepared us, those he showed mercy to in Christ, for glory. Again, doesn't tell us the basis of this choice. Doesn't tell us why he did this. It does give one reason here, though, for his glory, right? Um, and so, again, that's what we're discussing here. Why is it that we were elect? Was it because God foreknew that we would believe in Jesus and that we'd receive the gospel? And therefore, you know... All of us have the opportunity to be saved and that we could do nothing without his grace. We could do nothing if he didn't draw us, but he's drawing everyone and we can either choose to reject it or accept it. That would seem fair and reasonable to most human minds, right? Or is it that no, that uh, he actually did choose for himself who he wanted to be saved it's not something we can understand. It's not based on anything we would believe, on anything we would do. 
Um, he chose it in a, in a way that he had his own means to it, but it would be arbitrary to us, so to speak. It's not arbitrary in that it's whimsical, but it's wrapped up in his own purposes that we cannot understand. Again, I don't like the fact that once you play the God card, well, then now you can, you know, now you can make a reason for anything. To say that it's wrapped up in his purposes in a way that we don't understand, that's not an application. That's not an answer. We need to keep digging into the scriptures to get an answer. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Verse 24, even us, all Christians, right? All those who are truly saved, even us, whom he also called. Okay, in this life, we were all called to Jesus, right? Whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. So all of us who are Christians have been called. Now, has every human being been called and we simply, you know, were willing to receive it and others pushed it away and they rejected it? Or was it that, that he called us he gave us the faith, he regenerated us, he brought the gospel before us, and he did everything. The whole argument is what was our part in it? How much did human will play a part in it? And there are arguments on both sides. Again, a reformed thinker or a Calvinist will, will say that you're, you, know, you put too much on free will or you're worshiping free will. And, and certainly that's not something we're doing knowingly, right? But they're saying, what they would say is that ultimately you're saying free will decides. Well, after all of God's mercy and grace and drawing, then yes, we would say ultimately he's not choosing. But, you know, they would find that offensive. And you, you could see that because that is in some ways saying that all those who in heaven are those who chose themselves to be there. Where um, their interpretation would be no, he, he chose those who would be saved. And others would be very offended at that because... If, if I have twin daughters and both of them, by the grace of God, are in, in Jesus Christ, Lauren and Kristen, if God chose one of them for heaven and let the other perish in hell, you know, I wouldn't like that very much, right? So even us, and Paul makes the point, it's not only Jews that he called, you know, again, we're discussing what the basis, but also non-Jews, Gentiles. Remember, anyone who's not a, a Jewish person is a Gentile. All right. Well, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for this teaching. We thank you for just this tremendous teaching in, in Romans 9, Father. Lord, I, I do ask you to show us, Holy Spirit, I ask you to reveal to us in the body of Christ the truth of this doctrine of election and what was your reasoning behind it? What was the basis of the election, Father? I want to know, Lord. Father, we know that some people are certain in their interpretations. Certainly, Lord, in this one, I'm, I'm not certain, Lord. I do hope, Father, that, that you have called everyone to salvation. I hope that everyone has an opportunity to be saved. But, Father, I ask you to reveal this truth to us. Father, I ask you to seal this message to our hearts. Holy Spirit, I ask you to help us now to, 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 to think on these things and to spend our lives living for Jesus, loving for Jesus, giving for Jesus, and forgiving for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus.